0: I'm I'm lost, I was just looking for the... Well, yes, of course I'm lost.
1: What an auspicious beginning. This way. Your first day as a teacher, Mr. Holland. Excited?
0: (sighs) Nervous. Boy, I never thought I'd be here.
1: No? Why not?
0: Well, like most people, I only got my teaching certificate, so I got something to call back on, and now I have.
1: This isn't a drive-in, Mr. Claridge. Hands off. You know, Mr. Holland, I don't think of teaching as a fallback position.
0: No, no, I didn't. And mean I grow
1: that. nervous around people who do.
0: I'm, I'm really very happy to be here. Really.
1: Good. You'll drop by my office later on. I have a list of students you'll be advising.
0: Advising? Can I ask when I'm supposed to be doing this advising?
1: That's for you and the student to arrange. You meet your orchestra when?
0: Fifth period. Are they any good?
1: They try hard. And by the way, I'll need a complete lesson plan from you by Friday. Right. For September and October.
0: Right. <sighs> no. No, Come on, let's, uh, let's take our seats a little quicker, please, a little quicker, we're losing time. Come on in, come on in, take it. My name is Mr. Holland. This, of course, is a title of courtesy, that I will extend back to you, uh, Mr. or Miss, as the, as the circumstances allow. Uh, welcome to Music Appreciation. This is a class in which we will be studying the, the history of music. Um, who would like to give me a definition of what music is? Any music? What do you think? Music? What do they think that music is in in general? What do they think? Anybody? Nobody? Okay, let's uh, let's go to the text, and we turn to page. Um, four, and we read that music is sound in melodic or harmonic combinations, whether produced by voice or instrument. Now, questions? Anybody? At all?
2: No? Hmm? Now, before uh, Mr. Holland becomes a school teacher, he uh, is kind of the 60s. This is set in 1965. He's kind of the 60s version of The Wedding Singer. Um, he plays bar mitzvahs. He plays um, weddings, different things like that. But since that doesn't pay a whole lot of money, he decides he's going to go to... School and be a teacher which doesn't pay a whole lot of money, but it was supposed to allow him a lot of time that he could hang out with his family with his wife and he could write this beautiful music for which he was going to be loved and remembered and he becomes a school teacher and then his life takes this this uh, series of unexpected turns. How many of you here can relate to your life kind of taking some unexpected turns? Can I see your hand? Anybody exactly where you thought you would be 30 years ago? Some of you are like, I wasn't here 30 years ago. Yeah, you didn't know you'd be here then, did you? Right, anybody? Anybody, you're exactly where you thought you would be from 30 years ago. No, life tends to take us on this series of unexpected turns. 30 years ago this week, I was sitting in a youth camp in Arkansas, Asylum Springs, Arkansas. Went every year. We played sports. That's the only reason I went, sports and girls. And and this particular week, I can't tell you who was preaching. I can't tell you who was doing the music because back then, Christian music sucked. I mean, it was bad. So you had somebody playing a guitar, singing hymns. That was basically... So I don't remember any of that. But I was sitting there one night and, and I clearly heard God Speak to my heart. I've never heard God speak out loud. I heard him speak to my heart. 17 years old, um, wondering whether we're going to win the softball game the next day. You know, that type of deal. And God says, I want more from you. And I remember sitting there and, and I thought, I don't know what you're talking about, God. You see, I was a Ceno. You've heard of rhinos. Rhinos are Republican in name only. I was a Ceno, I was a Christian in name only. Like James was talking about last week when he talked about uh, not a fan Um, I was a fan of Jesus. I wasn't a follower of Jesus. And so I didn't really know what to do. And the way this whole worship thing was set up, there's about 5,000 students there. And and so they had dudes at the front, women and men at the front. And so I went forward and I talked to one guy that night because I knew God said something. I didn't know what God was saying. And it kind of freaked me out. So I go and I talk to this man. We sit out under these trees and we're there a long time. And we prayed together after talking to him and after praying with him, I I was convinced that God was telling me that I was supposed to follow him into ministry. Now, the funny thing is up to this point, I had been anything but a radical Christ follower. In fact, my pastor, when I was in high school, my pastor threatened to call me down during the worship service because I was so disruptive. Y'all who know me, you know, I can't even stand a clicking pin. Imagine if I had someone like me out here in, in the worship service. He told, but see, here's where I, I didn't, didn't really um, uh, go for what this pastor was saying. The pastor never talked to me and I didn't respect that. He told someone else to tell me, if, if you don't settle down in church, the pastor is going to kick you out one day. And I said, if he does, I'll gladly get up and walk out and I'll never step back in that church again. I was I was really a deep, committed Christ follower at that time. But somehow God had this idea... That he was going to take that rebel and, and call him into ministry. So the only thing I knew how to do was sing back then. I was in, in, uh, I sang in competition, sang in choir, and I played a little bit of piano, that type of deal. And so I decided I was going to go into the music ministry. I was going to be a music minister because that's what we called the worship pastor back then. That's the dude that led the singing. So I was going to be a music minister. Imagine my pastor's surprise on that Sunday morning when I walked down the aisle. First of all, he's thinking, Oh no, what's going to happen? And then I say, God's calling me to ministry. He was like, what? You? In fact, when I went back for my 10-year reunion, Janie went with me. People were like, you're a minister? You? I'm like, yeah. God God has a a sense of humor. And see, I told God, okay, I'll do the music part, but I will never preach. Never. You see who won that argument, right? Here's the deal. God has a plan for your your wife. That too. She's right there. God has a plan for your life, and you have a plan for your life. And we started way back in January talking about this when we talked about the two roads. There's a wide road that leads to destruction. It actually leads to hell. There's a narrow road, and Jesus said, Hey, all y'all, you got to come get on this narrow road if you want to follow me. God had a plan for my life. I had a plan for my life, and I had to decide back when I was 17, am I going to follow my plan or God's plan? And somehow my parents had laid enough of a foundation that I knew that I was going to be sadly disappointed. In fact, I took some wild turns and some some stupid things that I did. And finally, I'm like, God, I give up and I'm going to follow you with all my heart. And see, here's the thing. God has a plan for your life and you have a plan for your life and you've got to decide right now whether you're going to follow God's plan or your plan. Because the impact, when, when we get to the end of your life, whether it's me or someone else who's preaching your funeral, we're going to talk about some stuff about you. And I pray that we have something to talk about of substance. Not that you were married to your job, not that you um, pursued all these other things and neglected God, you ran from God. I pray that there's something of substance that we have to say there. And I just want to tell you this, it's no accident that you're here today. It's no accident that you're in Palestine today. I hear people all the time whining and complaining that they're in Palestine. went to my dad's 90th birthday last week. It's in Borger, Texas. If you want boring and going nowhere, go to Borger. Palestine's all kinds of happening. We have a super center. Borger doesn't even have a super center. I mean, there is nothing in Borger. And it's actually just a little bit smaller than Palestine. Stop whining and complaining and start living for God. And in fact, the Bible tells us we're supposed to bloom where we're planted. And and so I was looking at this verse and I was thinking about this, and here it is from 1 Corinthians. Paul, listen to what he says to the Corinthian church. He says, Don't be, hey Jeff, you're gonna have to turn up some lights because man, I am going blind. Just the one that's right here above me. And there it is. Don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. This is awesome. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and, and believe right there. This is the idea of blooming where you're planted. And so I was kind of studying this the other day and I decided to look up, you know, I googled bloom where you're planted. I just want to see what people had to say about this. And I came across this blog and this was from women of faith. Don't even know who the lady was, but I read this and just want to share a portion of what she said. She said, what if when stuck, she's talking to a whole bunch of ladies, they have a Bible study at her house, and she said, we, they came up with this, what if when stuck, where you don't want to be, instead of complaining, you asked God what He, his plan was supposed to be in the situation? Why did he put you there? Does he need you to learn something or teach someone? Is he trying to get your attention away from things? Or have you left him by the wayside, choosing to tackle something on your own? Okay, so those are all great questions, and then this is the part that made me laugh. She said, last week, as many of you know, because she's a blogger, she said, my dear husband got laid off. He's worked since he was a junior in high school, and now he's been laid off. So he's been working for, well, a freakish number of years. I, on the other hand, am basically one of those underachieving type Z personalities where I sit around eating Reese's Cups and making cute babies. Mind you, I didn't say they were well-behaved, just cute. So in our new situation, I again asked God what He thought I should do. I was seriously hoping He would tell me that I needed to continue my, uh, my useless, slacker ways and stay home and play with my last baby. I was totally ready to bloom in my little house doing the same thing I'd always done. And then she tells this whole story about how God had called her to go to work and she was going to have to work temporarily while her husband stayed at home. And she said all of her husband's plans had to do with power tools and babies and she didn't think those two things were going to mix And and she had to get a job. And she was totally uncomfortable with having to move out and get a job at this season of life. But she was convinced that God told her to do that. And here's what I was thinking about. What if God never intended for you to be comfortable? What if comfort is not God's number one goal for your life? What if holiness is God's goal for your life? What if learning to be content wherever you are is God's goal for your life? I kind of think from reading the pages of Scripture that it is. And so we've got to learn to depend on God. What if God didn't mess up? What if He didn't, he didn't lose the coordinates when you were being conceived and suddenly put you, you know, in your mother and then you end up in Palestine? What if God didn't mess up and He intended for you to be here And he has an eternal purpose for you right here in Palestine or within the driving distance of Palestine. What if? Would that make any difference? So what I want to say today is stop moping, whining, complaining, and start living for God. What would happen if you did that? Now, in our movie, Mr. Holland, at one point he goes home and he says, I hate that woman, talking about the principal. Just hates her. Hates her. Because one time she said, Man, you sprint out of here faster than the students do at the end of the day. he said, well, I'm here on time. I do my job. And she goes, there's two jobs you have as as a uh, teacher. One is to impart knowledge. The other is to give students a compass so that they know what to do with that knowledge. And she said, your compass is stuck. He goes home and he tells his wife, I hate that woman. Well, something happened after that speech and he becomes an incredible teacher. So much so that I want you to notice what happens in this next clip.
0: Of course, Daisy was also the former Miss Idaho. Her dress is made of a potato skin. You stop. (laughs) It's very nice. (laughs) nice This is Glenn. And this is Iris. Hello, nice to meet
3: you.
1: Cole. Cole. Say hi. Hi. This is Cole. Hello, everybody. Hi. 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 Mr. Holland, a word.
0: Mm If Jake is with you, it's never just one word.
1: What are your plans for the summer?
0: Oh, I yes, you know, the Clyde Crash Cup School of Driver's Ed. What
1: about you? Oh, I'm going to be very busy. Gardens to plant, grandchildren to visit. I'm retiring, Mr. Holland. What? I've been promising my husband for several years now. It's time. I have something for you. A, a memento, if you will. Mr. Holland, of all the teachers here at John F. Kennedy High School, you're my favorite.
2: happened to Mr. Holland he became this teacher that made a huge impact on people around him and what I think is he stopped being faithful to his job and started being faithful to his calling oh what the kingdom of God could do if people stopped being faithful to jobs and started being faithful to their callings nothing could nothing could prevail against us um if you read the Bible very much, you'll, you'll realize that Jesus was the greatest teacher who ever lived and people were drawn to him because his teaching made so much sense. One of his most famous stories has to do about um, the construction trade and, and Jesus knew a whole lot about this because he was raised to be a carpenter. And in this one, he talks about uh, two men who build houses. One builds on sand and one builds on rock. Now... I don't know if you know this, but Jesus' teaching has inspired all kinds of other things, especially this story. It's inspired all kinds of copycat stories um, because the teaching was so relevant. Here's one. This, This is an American classic, and see if you can figure out what it is. In this story, in the American classic, the primary characters are builders. They each construct a house. Not all of the houses were created equal. There's a contrast between uh, wise builders and foolish builders. And each house faces a test. If it was built wisely, it stood. If it built, uh, if it was built foolishly, it didn't. What's the what's the story? Three little pigs. Y'all are good. Now, each pig built a house. Two of the pigs built their houses of junk. They never considered whether it could stand up against a huffing and puffing wolf. I don't know why they didn't th- consider that, but they didn't. Only the wise builder, only his house lasted. You had no idea that Jesus was the inspiration for such stories, did you? I'm not saying that they knew Jesus and all of that stuff. I'm just saying that he said it first. That's how good a teacher he was. In the original version, he actually tells two stories, one about a wise builder and one about a foolish builder. Here it is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone who hears my words and obeys them is like a wise man who built his house on rock. It rained hard, the floods came, and the winds blew and hit that house, but it did not fall because it was built on rock. Everyone who hears my words and does not obey them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. It rained hard, the floods came, and the winds blew and hit that house, and it fell with a big crash. All right, I want to look at these two builders, and I want to look at three similarities between them. First one, each person builds a house. This is not an optional part of the story. We're all house builders. Maybe we should replace the word house with life or character or soul, and and we'd better understand Jesus' point. We're in the process of building our lives, and we do this mainly by the choices we make. Every friendship I strike up, every commitment I make, every promise I keep or break, every talent I either work on or neglect becomes a part of my house, a part of my life. The quality of the choices that you make and that I make determine the quality of my life. They determine the quality of my character. Now, I didn't put this one in your notes or on, on you version, but I should have. You could jot this down if you're one of those people, because we have several of those people here that like to write down notes. Each of us is responsible for our own house. This is a big deal. Everybody builds a house. Everybody builds a life. Each person is responsible. This is a big deal because in our society, no one wants to take responsibility for the choices that they make. We want to blame someone else. If our house, if our life is not what we want it, then we got to find somebody else. It can't be our fault. It has to be someone else's fault. My parents were too strict. That's why I'm an alcoholic. My boss is such a taskmaster. Master, that's why I don't know my children and I neglect them. My spouse plays too much golf. That's why my marriage sucks. I actually read about a man in Italy who was arrested for bigamy. He had 105 wives. 105 not smart. In eighth grade, I had two girlfriends. They, were, they hated each other. They became friends. It was hell on earth. I can't imagine 105 wives when he was asked by the cops, why did you do this? He said, I got bad legal advice. What's the law you're going to say? Well, you know, you can have several wives, but, you know, keep it less than 100. Bad legal advice. Come on, moron! Step up and take responsibility for your own choices. Our choices will define our lives, and some of you have made really bad choices, and you have to live in the house that you built. And it makes no sense to claim to to, to complain about those choices because you made them. If you don't like your house, build another one. Start today making wise choices, because then maybe. If you stick with something and you build on why, why, wise not wild—wise choices, sometime down the road, people are going to look at your life and they're going to say, there's someone I want to be like. Last weekend, we celebrated my dad's 90th birthday. Here's a picture of mom and dad next to the cake. That's supposed to be a toolbox. And if you ever... Someday, i got to show you pictures of my dad's garage. Um, last Saturday night at 1030 a uh, battery went down, and, and he told me to find another battery. That took a while, and then he told me to find battery uh, jumper cables. That took a while, and then we had to find a battery charger, and that took even while. I was so ticked at my father last Saturday night trying to, because all we were trying to do is roll the windows up on this van that he never drives because he's too blind to drive it. But anyway, that's another story. So. Um, we have this party, and, and my sister wanted, that's a toolbox, that red thing on the top is supposed to be a toolbox, and she wanted this shiny toolbox, and my brother-in-law said, have you seen your dad's garage? There's not anything in existence that your dad has touched that is, white, that is shiny. So this is a, a, a greasy, oily toolbox, and then all of those tools on there, that's Janie and, and Rachel actually made all of those for the party. So we're celebrating dad's 90th birthday party. We're out at this church where mom and dad have been um, going for years and years and years, and... All these people that came in, I've got an uncle and aunt that came and I've got people that I didn't even know. I mean, I'd heard their names, cousins and stuff like that that came and, and people would pull me aside and they would say, your dad's a great man. Now, my dad worked for Phillips Petroleum for 37 years. He was a pipe fitter for what, for a coal palmer plant, which basically made rubber that goes into tires. Dad did that for 37 years. He would have made 40, but the plant closed in 1982 and he took early retirement at 62. Three more years, he would have worked at the same place for 40 years. As long as I can remember, we were in church every Sunday. Um, Mom and dad have been married 67 years. And mom has played either the piano or the organ for 72 years in some church. Now, I don't know about you, but that's kind of a legacy that I'm grateful to have. And it's what I want to pass on to the next generation. You've got to build your life on something. And and what I want to know is if people look closely at your life today, would they say that you have a great life? Or would they see that that you're building with things that don't last? You're making choices that, that not only will hurt you, but will hurt the future. You're building with stuff that just doesn't matter because the Bible says one day you will stand before God. And He will examine everything about your life. And you will answer for everything you've done. What are you building your life on? Simple question. Second, similarity. Each person faces a storm. Jesus is very clear about this part. In fact, in these two stories, the wise man and the foolish man, he uses the exact same words to talk about the storm. He says, "...the rain came down, the the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house." This is not a story about storm avoidance, as if we could even do that. Nobody in life can avoid the storms. We live in Texas. In Texas, we're pretty safe not to have a snow avalanche. Although at the Super Bowl, at Jerry World, there was some snow that fell off and hurt some people, but that was really rare, right? But what about tornadoes? We have those. When I was a senior in high school, you could see 12 tornadoes from the roof of my house. I know because I was up there watching them. Um. There's storms, there's hail, there's lightning, there's thunderstorms, there's all of this stuff. You are going to face storms. In fact, everybody in this room is either heading into a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or you're going to come out of a storm. Each person faces a storm. There's no getting around it. The big bad wolf comes and blows against our house and nobody is immune. Rich people aren't immune to pain and suffering and storms. Famous people aren't immune. There's no race, there's no social status, there's no religion that can protect people from the storms of life. But Jesus even has some advice about the storms in Matthew 6, 34. He says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So here's what Jesus said. Here's the prediction. You're going to have trouble today. You're going to have trouble tomorrow. Trouble is everywhere. In fact, he said, you will have trouble as long as you're on this planet. And he said, but take heart, I've overcome the world. This isn't all there is. Why would Jesus, if He loves us, if God is all-loving, why would He allow us to go through storms? That's the third similarity. Storms test the house. It's in the storms of life that the house is revealed. The strength of the house is revealed. Now, how many of you have ever had someone come to your house and they said, Man, what I'd really like to see is the foundation. Nobody's interested in foundations unless you're a builder or unless you're the owner of the house and it starts to crack, then you're very interested in foundations. But nobody's ever come to my house and said, man, what I'd really like to do is pull up all that flooring. Let me see the concrete. I want to see that. No, nobody cares about that until the storms come. The ultimate storm that Jesus is talking about will come at the end of time. It's in the last judgment. One day the Bible says, you will stand before God. As an individual, by the way, that's why you're responsible for your own house. You will answer. God will examine every beam of your house. And if it is based on His foundation, if it's based on His Word, then you'll get rewards for that. If the choices that you made aren't, you'll lose rewards for that if you're a Christ follower. If you're not a Christ follower, you don't even get to that judgment because there's something called the great white throne judgment. And the Bible says you will stand up. And and Jesus, there's something called the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus has it. And it says that Jesus is the only one that has it. He's the only one that can open it. He's the only one that can write in it. And when you stand before God, because you will stand before God, He's going to say, He's going to ask your name, Doug Washburn. He's going to go back to the W's and He's going to say, He's one of ours. Because it says in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, it says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, in the Lamb's book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. You may not realize it, but you're going to face judgment. And you may be able to hide... Some of those poor choices today, you may be able to hide your foundation, but not forever. It will come out. Every decision I make goes into the building of my house, so I can't violate Jesus' teachings and expect everything to be all right. Now, we get to the major difference in the two houses, the two builders. This is number four. The key to the story is the foundation, this is the big variable. Everyone builds a house. Everyone faces storms. The question becomes, upon which foundation are you building, rock or sand? What I always come back to is, do you have any basis for the decisions you make in life or are you just making it up as you go along? Because I don't know how good a job I've done, but I've told my kids, you need to base your decisions on here. 95% of what God wants you to do is here. And if you're following that 95%, guess what? you discover your life partner. And it wasn't until both of us followed wholeheartedly what God was saying that He brought us back together. It's no accident that I married Janie Gardner. When I really sought after God, He brought me the right woman. I question whether I'm the right man for her, but that's that's between her and God, right? I just mean because I'm a buckethead. I don't know how she puts up with that yeah, 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 shut up. (laughs) Now, (laughs) it's foolish to put your ultimate choice in anything that doesn't last. And according to scripture, the only thing that lasts is God. The man who built on sand guaranteed his own destruction. But how did he get into this situation? I mean, because Jesus doesn't tell us that he was deliberately bad, that he deliberately set out to destroy his life, that he was a bad person. He just calls him foolish. And so, I don't know about you, but, you know, I've got three children. And, and when you ask a child why they've done something that's just beyond you, you're searching for meaning and rationality in a crazy situation, and you ask your, your kids, you, you usually focus on one word, one little word, three letters. What is it? Why? Why did you draw on the wall with permanent marker? Why did you place the bike strategically behind the car so that when I backed out it would smash it? Why did you have a contest to see who could stick the longest spaghetti noodle up your brother's nose? Why? And children always have the same response. I don't know. Of course they don't know. If they were functioning on the basis of reason and logic, they wouldn't have done it in the first place. I don't know. It just happened, seemed like a good idea at the time. If we were to talk to the foolish man and say, Foolish man, why did you destroy your life? I bet he would go, I don't know. Seemed like a good idea at the time. How many of you making decisions like that? You may not realize it, but the people around you do. And it's killing them to watch you destroy your lives. No one sets out to build on sand. No architect says, here's a sandy spot. Let's build a nice house here. Which makes me wonder what's happened in California. Build on the side of a hill where there's mudslides. And then stand there in horror as your house crumbles down. I'm going, don't build in California. I mean, does this not make sense? Earthquakes, mudslides, rain, all of that stuff. And let's build on a hill, not even a rock. Let's find a sandy one. I don't know. Californians, I don't understand them. It's a good place to visit, but I couldn't stay there very long. No one sets out to have a mediocre existence. I've not met anyone who, when they were getting ready to get married, said, I plan on divorcing them and destroying my life and all of the lives of my children and future. Nobody plans on that. Folks don't give birth to children intending to neglect them so they don't even know them when they're older. No one sits down and plans on his life going to hell. But it happens all the time. You see, the Bible is filled with really wise teaching whenever we listen to its teaching, this is what Jesus said. When you listen to my words, obey them. It's like you built your house on a firm foundation. He says, but when you listen to my words or totally ignore my words, do not obey my words, He says, you are setting yourself up for destruction. One brick at a time, we have to construct our houses and, and I want one that lasts. I don't know about you. So which little piggy are you going to be like? You going to build with straw, With hay? Or are you going to build with brick? Bible's real clear. Here's the road map. Here's the foundation. You build on this foundation, you'll have a life that stands. Now, over a period of 30 years, Mr. Holland is faithful to his calling. And then because of budget cuts, they eliminate the music department at his school. And he thinks that pretty much everything's done. Watch what happens.
3: Hello. Um, our master of ceremonies seems to be a little late, so I guess it's up to me to begin. Um, when word first got out that the music program was cut and about the retirement of my husband, well, I've never seen such a response from the community. Oh, Looks like my watch is fast. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, may I present our governor and Kennedy High School alumnus,
2: the most honorable virtue Lang.
3: I'd like you to know, yes, I brought a note from my mother. (laughs) Mr. Holland had a profound influence on my life, on a lot of lives, I know. And yet I get the feeling that he considers a great part of his own life misspent. Rumor had it he was always working on this symphony of his, and this was going to make him famous, rich, probably both. But Mr. Holland isn't rich, and he isn't famous, at least not outside of our little town. So it might be easy for him to think himself a failure. And he would be wrong, because I think he's achieved a success far beyond riches and fame. Look around you. There is not a life in this room that you have not touched. And each one of us is a better person because of you. We are your symphony, Mr. Holland. We are the melodies and the notes of your opus. And we are the music of your life.
2: Nobody outside of Borger, Texas knows anything about my father. He was faithful to his job. He was faithful to his wife. He was faithful to his children. And I'm I'm honored to have a dad like that. And I just want to challenge you today to think of a bigger picture. Don't be so worried and whining and complaining about you're not where you want to be. Maybe you're exactly where God wants you to be. And the reason God's not pouring out blessings on you is because you're not grateful for what you already have. Start to look around and be thankful for what you have. Practice an attitude of gratitude. And and you might be amazed what God's going to do. When you start to pursue God with all your heart, He will pour out His blessings on you. But He doesn't waste His blessings on disobedient, belligerent, whining, complaining people. So, what are you building your life on? Now, just in case you don't understand this concept, let me tell you how you can start your life and be adopted into God's family day. Real quickly, you pray a prayer like this. God, I know that I've messed up my life. Right now, I admit to you that I've done things wrong. There are times I've known the right thing to do and I've chosen to do the wrong thing. Would you forgive all the wrong things I've done? Would you come into my life and change me to be the person you want me to be? Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I want to live for you. Please show me how. Now, here's what I want to do. We have a registration card, and we ask you to fill that out. On the back, there's always something we ask you to do. If you have prayer concerns, put that on the back. I'm going to, I'm going to show you the last clip. Man, I was bawling like a baby. We were, I was watching this driving 500 miles back from Borger. Not while I was driving, while Janie was driving. And watching it on a computer, you know, I'd seen the movie many times, but trying to figure out what I was going to use for today. So I'm under this blanket because you can't see, you know, computer. And my kids are laughing at me and all this stuff. And I'm under there and I am bawling like a baby. Man, I've gotten old and soft. Uh, You know, approaching 50 and I'm, I'm bawling like a baby. And I just don't do that. I'm not a crier. And Jenny's like, wow, you know, because I was looking at this and I was thinking, I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that when I die, people say, I want to be like him. I want my kids to be like him. And not, not that I'm following Christ. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what I want to do. I want, I want you to follow me as long as I'm following Christ. If I'm not following Christ, kick me in the rear and throw me out beside the road. But as long as, long as I'm following Christ, you follow too. I want to be that guy. And I think a lot of you want more than what you've experienced in life before. So as we watch his, his opus being played here at the end, I want you to think about, examine your life up to this point. Are you building on sand or are you building on rock? Because that's what I'm going to ask you to write on the back of your card. I want you, don't write it yet. I want you just to listen to this music, listen to the culmination of his life, realize the whole auditorium was there for him. And he had made an impact, but nobody knew it outside their little town. He bloomed where he was planted. Watch this and then we'll be dismissed. turn over on the back and write rock or sand what are you building your life on those are your only two choices prayer concerns write those down the back we have three baskets joy basket is where we put our offerings joy basket god loves a cheerful giver we have a bagel basket which is go ahead we're just weird around here have to do sound effects for everything that's where everything goes in there is paying off debt and then we have a registration card basket Put your cards in there. I pray through those. If you would like to talk with someone about how to build your life on the rock, put that on there and I'll contact you this week.